This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. What's up, guys? Welcome to Choose Podcast. My name is Salman Ali at Salman Ali NBA on Twitter. Today's podcast is brought to you by Bet Online, your online wagering experts, and Dio Dash. On today's podcast, we're going to be joined by Adam Spolane of Sports Radio 610. We're going to be discussing Eric Gordon's left ankle injury in addition to the Rockets opening up their season again against the Dallas Mavericks and the Milwaukee Bucks. I hope you guys enjoy. Blue Wire. Russell Westbrook is off to Houston. It's going to be scary. Not for us. No! James Harden just caught a body here in Los Angeles. And Westbrook is on the freeway. All right, and we are back, joined by Adam Sporling of Sports Radio 610. How you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. So uh, I figure we start with Eric Gordon. So last week, Eric Gordon sprained his left ankle in Houston's final scrimmage game. X-rays came back negative, and the report indicates that he'll miss about two weeks. So I'm going to say what my initial reaction was, and I want to hear what you have to say, because I have a feeling you, you might disagree here. So the immediate reaction is always concerned for the player because he's down on the floor in pain, right? And I check Rockets Twitter and everybody's panicking, which is perfectly normal because we're really close to regular season gameplay. And I watched the replay and I thought it didn't look too bad. And I and he would probably miss about a month at most, which means he'd be back in time for the postseason. And after that realization, I thought this was actually a good thing for, bo- for both Eric Gordon and the Rockets. And let me explain. So we had Michael Shapiro on the show two weeks ago and we talked about how the Rockets aren't going to reach their full potential without Eric Gordon firing on all on all cylinders. And I don't want anyone to think I'm not saying he's not important for Houston. But after watching him in the, in the scrimmage games, he definitely looked healthy, but he still didn't look like Eric Gordon. And this was on both ends of the floor. Like on offense, he was struggling to shoot the ball. In fact, he was like one for six from three before he got hurt in that final scrimmage. But he just didn't look ready to play basketball. And the Rockets were suffering with him on the floor. So force-feeding Eric Gordon 30 minutes per game when the team is still trying to find its groove didn't seem like a smart solution. Especially when you have capable guys like Daniel House, Austin Rivers, and Ben McLemore that can help kind of fill in the gaps for you temporarily. I actually think it's best that Eric take this time off to get healthy, get his mind right, let the team find its groove, and then slowly slide back into the rotation on a minutes restriction when he's healthy. And then eventually he can get that starting spot back if Mike D'Antoni wants to give it to him. 
because I think Daniel House looks ready and so does Austin Rivers, and it won't hurt Houston in the short term if these guys play more minutes for right now. Like, long term, they need Eric to make a serious run. But this doesn't sound all that bad for right now. What do you think? Am I crazy? Yeah, yeah. Um, all the reports that you heard about Gordon just during their practices is that he looked great. Um, I, I can't speak to what he was doing in the scrimmages. I didn't get to, you know, I wasn't watching the scrimmages religiously, but you wanted him to be able to get minutes with everybody and, and you wanted him to be able to work his way back into form and be able to start like everyone else would be able to start whenever game one of the postseason happens. Now, all of a sudden, you know, they say he's going to miss two weeks. It probably takes him out of all eight of the restart games. And now you're trying to work him back in once the playoffs actually start. And that's really difficult to do. Now, these guys will have played eight games together. And now you are trying, now you're asking probably their third best player to try and work himself back into game shape, back into playing actual basketball five on five at game speed. And he won't have those eight games. I think it really hurts him. I think it hurts the team. I, they they really, really need him. I think they really needed everybody. They needed all their key guys to be able to play not all eight games of the restart, but they need to get they needed to get as many minutes as possible. And now not having Gordon, you don't do that. It also messes with rotations because you, Mike D'Antoni, I think, knew the way that he wanted to to mess with his substitution patterns. We obviously know that Eric Gordon was going to start. And now all that gets kind of thrown up in 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 the air, and you don't really know who's going to wind up uh, playing when. So I think that for them, it, it it takes a step back, and then they've got to try and and adjust on the fly once he is able to return. So that's the counter argument, right? Like he's not going to have the ramp up to the to the postseason, but just watching him in those scrimmages game those scrimmage games, like he just didn't look right, man. Like on defense and on offense, he just was not the same Eric Gordon. And I just didn't think it was productive to force feed him like 30 minutes per game. Like I get that you're trying to get him ready with the with the rest of the rotation. But he if he's not looking right, I, I don't see how being so steadfast of him having the starting spot is productive. Like I, I think actually giving it to someone who does look more ready, like Daniel House or, you know, any anybody else on the, on the roster, frankly, because Eric looked that bad. Like, giving it to somebody like that just for just for right now and letting Eric earn it back or, you know, just ease his way back instead of kind of forcing it down, forcing those minutes down everybody's throat. I think that felt like a healthier way to kind of ease him back to the rotation because I just just watching him like I don't know what it is. I think he's just oh, he's overthinking everything like he's had a really rough year. He shot 32 percent from three and. I, I just think he's one of those players who thinks too much. And, I, you know, b- before a shot attempt, before before anything on the flo- he, he does on the basketball court, he just seems to overthink it. And I think, you know, having him, having the pressure eased off him, coming off the bench for a little bit, like let's just say he comes in on, on game six, right? Game six of the restart. He's on like a 15 to 20-minute uh, restriction. So he comes in, he, he, he doesn't have that much pressure coming off the bench. And he can just do his thing. He doesn't have to think too much because he's not a starter. I think that might be a better way to implement him into the rotation rather than just being like, yeah, he doesn't look right, but we have to have him start come, uh, I guess, August. Having him ready come August. Like, it, doesn't sound, it, it doesn't sound productive. It just kind of forced those minutes down his throat. I mean, let's be honest. These eight games don't matter. I mean, they're nice to have, and it's nice to play well, and it's nice to win them. But there's no difference being third or finishing sixth. There really is no difference. And so you'd much rather him try and work out the kinks in during the eight games that don't matter as opposed to the games that actually do matter once the playoffs start. 
so I think that, yeah, you, 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 you give him his normal minutes during these eight games and you let him work out whatever he needs to work out because that's just how important he is. And if he's going to be bad, let him be bad now as opposed to being mad in two or three weeks when the games actually count for something, when when your season is on the line. Again, these games don't matter. They're, again, yesterday was nice and, and Friday night's win was nice. But at the end of the day, it does not matter. It does. It has no real impact on whether or not they win a championship or advance far in the postseason. In two weeks, those games start to matter, and they need Eric Gordon back at 100% and working him in with a minutes restriction and having not played in a real game in five months, that, that doesn't make them a better basketball team. So I actually disagree. Like I thought that first game was really important, especially for seeding wise. And we'll talk about uh, th- we'll talk about Houston's first two games in a minute. But like seeding wise, like they can't fall to seventh. They can't play uh, the Lakers or another Lakers. They can't play the Clippers in round one. Like that's just not conducive to them winning a championship. Like, but that wasn't going to happen if they even if they lose that game on Friday. That wasn't necessarily going to happen. But so, it, uh, it was much more likely, and that's kind of my point. Like, you are much more likely to fall into the seventh seed with Eric Gordon playing this bad, and and the team just not finding its groove as a whole. Like, that's my bigger issue. Like, they weren't finding their groove as a whole with Eric Gordon. Like, the minutes he was off the floor and Daniel House would come in, they would start to find a little bit of a rhythm, and that that to me is just kind of the, the bigger issue here. It's like. He is not fitting in, and the the group is not finding its groove with him. So having this kind of a break, letting both parties kind of be away from each other for a little bit, I think might be a little healthy because when they once once you can reintegrate them, there's not that much pressure to play like Eric Gordon of you know 2018. There's not. It it'll be a playoff game. Like he'll be playing in a playoff situation. If he's not... on a minutes restriction in game six, it's not that there's not that much pressure. Like there, 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 there really isn't. Again, like, like my my whole point here is Eric Gordon has not looked like Eric Gordon this entire year. So force feeding him these minutes just it, it, it does it doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, he's their third best player. I mean, that's just that's how it is. That's that's what he's thought of. I'm, yeah, I, he has not played like that all year. Oh, but you, so you just have to let him go. I mean, that's just one of those things. You know, Harden wasn't very good uh, for the last couple. But of you months don't have to. The, the that's my point. Shut down. Like, that's my point. Like, you don't have to let him go and suffer and make the whole team suffer. Like, there are other guys who are playing well enough right now to fill those minutes. I, I don't see that at all. I, I don't. I think that you want him to play now because you want him to be in game shape and you want him to have those reps playing real games. And I'm not going to get caught up in what happened in a couple of scrimmages because all the reports that you heard during their practices is that he was probably the best player on the floor. So if he was bad in the scrimmages, then he was bad in the scrimmages. But, you know, you have to go by by what he, he did, just the full body of work and not just a couple of scrimmages that really don't matter. One scrimmage, fine. Two scrimmages, okay, it's not that big of a deal. Three scrimmages, four scrimmages. At what point do we expect to see Eric Gordon play like Eric Gordon? And it's not just like he's not shooting the ball well. It's like like defense is something like it doesn't matter if you're off or on. You're you're either playing good defense or you're not. And the, and I just thought he just he just was not playing well. And yeah, sure, Mike D'Antonio talked about how on that first night he played really great in practice. Great. We're not seeing what he's doing. We can only go off of what we're seeing. And I, from what I was seeing, Eric Gordon was not playing like Eric Gordon. And I just think, I just don't, I don't, I don't see it being productive to kind of, what's the, what's the expression? Put a square peg into a round hole like that. Well, then you might as well just sit him from now until the end of the year. I mean, well, if, you don't have to do either. Adam, that's my point. You don't have to do either. Like you, you can, you can ease him in. 
I, I don't think you can ease a guy in during the playoffs. I think that's really difficult to do. We saw them kind of do it. I mean, it's not on the same level, but you kind of saw them do that, try to do that with Lupa Mute a couple of years ago. And obviously that didn't work either, and he wasn't fully healthy. They they needed him. They need to see what they have. They need to be able to get their rotations in order so that everyone knows their role once the playoffs start. And you just kind of I, – I just think that there's um, – a little ambiguity right now because you don't exactly know who's going to play when you don't exactly know how many minutes this guy is going to play, how many minutes that guy is going to play. And you're seeing them have to play eight guys right now. They want to be able to play nine. They want to be able to extend that rotation out a little bit, especially when you consider that they played overtime the first game, they came down to the wire in the second game and you're going every other day from here on out. So if you can get guys, if you can sit guys, especially, you know, Harden and, and Westbrook a couple extra minutes, then then you'd like to be able to do that. And they can't do that right now without Gordon on the floor. Well, let's talk about Houston's first two wins of the restart. Cause, uh, I know everyone's kind of moved on, but this Mavericks game was huge for Houston. Like they, like they were in serious danger of finishing as a seventh seed if they didn't win this game. Like that's the difference between playing the Clippers in round one or versus a team like the Nuggets or the Jazz. Like before we get into the nitty gritty of the game, like I just want to like em- I just want to emphasize like the massive seeding implications of that game because that I thought that was a pretty important win for Houston. Oh yeah, that that was. Of of their eight games, that one was really the only one that mattered, and it's it's tough that that was the first game out of the gates is that they had to play Dallas, uh, right right after after that. But it, it's funny because the Clippers were in danger of falling down to three if they'd uh, if they would have lost that last game against New Orleans. That's still in play too because the Clippers uh, they aren't healthy. They're missing a lot of guys right now. You have no idea when Lou Williams is actually going to come back. So. I, I think obviously I think the Clippers are just about a lock to get to two or to stay at two, but they could still drop down to three. That's still out there. Yeah, but I, I have I have a high degree of confidence. I mean, I've talked about this a lot. Like I, I love this Clippers team, and I, I don't think Lou Williams is necessarily holding them back from re- locking up that second seed. I think I think they'll they'll lock, they'll achieve that pretty quickly here in the in the bubble. So let's talk about the game itself. Did did you worry at all that the Rockets allowed like the Mavericks to score eighty five points in the first half? Like, was that a concern for you watching that game? Uh, it was a bad look, but it wasn't totally unexpected. Just when you consider how fast that game was being played, I mean, that pace was absurd. Um, the defense, obviously, you're talking about they're they're playing the best offense in the entire league. Um, Porzingis was really good. I thought they took advantage of just the Rockets' lack of size with Porzingis, um, and then. You had some guys come off the bench and make some shots for for Dallas. Uh, I w- it's not that's not what you're looking for in the first game back. Uh, but I, I took a lot of it with a grain of salt, just knowing that they're playing the the best offensive team in the league and they're doing so in their first game in five months. So I expected there to be a little bit of rust, and then you saw them play their way back into that game eventually. Yeah, so I agree. Like my pre- my preconceived notions of Houston's defense didn't change at all after the game. Like. I talked about this last week. People are sleeping on Dallas. Like people, most people wouldn't consider the Mavericks to be a title contender. In fact, I wouldn't consider the Mavericks to be a title contender. But if you just look at their advanced stats, they profile as a title contender. The Mavs have a historically great offense, so I expected that first game to be extremely close. Like I think I texted in our super secret Rocket to Media group chat that uh, I thought the game was going to be won by like five points or less. Now I didn't expect the final score to be one fifty three. To 149 
but this was always going to be a high scoring affair. Yeah, and it's not a it's a, not a, a text. It's a uh, it's a DM group because you have an Android, and it just frustrates Kelly to to also. <laughs> it just Kelly has no use for for people with Androids. Uh, yeah, it's. I figured that game played out the way I kind of thought it would, where it would be very high scoring. Then you saw the game slow down a little bit in the fourth quarter, and and their defense got really good towards the end of the game, and Luka Doncic kind of disappeared too towards the end of the game. Yeah, like imagine if you're Trey Burke and having the game of your life and shooting eight for ten from beyond the arc, and you lose. Like this is this was a heartbreaker for the Mavs. Like they consistently had like a ten point lead throughout the game. And their late game execution was just sloppy. And that's kind of been a thing with the Mavericks this whole year. Like, it's why we don't consider them a title contender, to be frank. Like, Luka and Porzingis just don't have the experiences in these late game situations. And I fully expect them to clean a lot of this stuff up and be a juggernaut in the Western Conference next year. Like, I'm really high on this team. I, I think these are just kind of growing pains for them. I'm not ready to put them into juggernaut territory yet. But they're obviously very good. They're very talented. They seem to play off one another really well. Defensively, that team is a disaster, and I don't know how much those two guys are helping in that regard. Um, but yeah, it's a good team. It's a fun team to watch. Uh, I saw, I watched Trey Burke steal a Big Ten Player of the Year from Victor Oladipo seven years ago. So it was good to see him come back and and play really well. He's bounced around from team to team, and for whatever reason, he can't find a team to stick with. Uh, but that was a revelation. If they can get something out of him, and he can shoot the ball like that, which obviously he won't, but they had to survive that. They survived it. They survived a hot shooting start from him. They survived uh, Porzingis really going to work in the post, and they were able to, to pull out a game that I don't think anyone expected them to be able to win when you consider that they were down seven points with 45 seconds to play. Yeah, that's the ridiculous statistic here, right? Like, I think the, the stat is like two out of four, 149 teams have ever won a game like that or something. Like, that's that's unheard of to win a game when you're down seven points with 45 seconds left. Uh, and I thought a lot of the Mavs shooting, like they're not going to shoot like 45 to 50% from three throughout the course of a seven game series. Right. Like, so like, I don't think you should put too much weight into like Houston, not being able to slow the Mavericks down. Like a lot of them, they were just hitting a lot of tough shots. Not, not, not just open shots, like a lot of tough contested hand in the face shots, especially Trey Burke. Like those shots the Mavericks were hitting were just like unheard of. Like the the, the Rockets did. I'm not going to say they played perfect defense because obviously they made a ton of mistakes. Uh, but I thought the, the the Rockets did a pretty good job at being able to take that fire and uh, keep keep grinding, keep the game close. Their late game defense was uh, pretty. Re- it was pretty good. I mean, like they've been really good defensively in clutch game situations, and I think that's why they won this one. Well, that's what they have to do. They're going to have to grind games out. They are always going to be at a certain level of a, of a disadvantage because of just how they're playing. And they are, the teams are going to hit them with runs. I mean, we've seen it uh, to start the game yesterday. We saw it, obviously, in the Dallas game. Uh, they've got to be able to overcome runs. And I think that's the one thing that we've noticed about this team so far in these first two games is that uh, they're playing hard. And they're playing hard uh, from from the opening whistle to the final buzzer. And I, I think this is something that we've always seen with Harden and now you see it with Westbrook, is that they never believe they're out of a game because Harden can come down and hit a couple of threes, and then Westbrook is going to play the way that he plays, and he's not going to give anyone an inch. And I think that's a big reason why they have won these two games, is that they never believe they're out of it, and then they also have been able to wear teams down. 
Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. There are over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, Deal Dash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign up on top of their other discounts. Go to dealdash.com and use offer code REDHOOPS or dealdash.fm slash REDHOOPS. That's dealdash.fm slash REDHOOPS. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return to sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it will be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember, use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Can we talk about that Harden uh, three-point attempt uh, where he got fouled right before and apparently it was an on-the-floor foul? I don't remember it, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, like, so So this, this was the play where Harden missed the second free throw, right? And, like, he, it was an on-the-floor foul, and he, he basically went up for three. And to me, looking at the replay, it looked pretty clear that he got the shot off. Like, I, I don't understand why that wasn't called. I mean, you it's a 50-50 call at this point. I don't think officials know how to call it. Um, I, I, I would say they should review it, but then you'd be reviewing way too many things. Uh, yeah, they, officials miss that call all the time. I mean, there are times when Harden has been given the call. There have been times where he hasn't been given it. Uh, and that's just one of those things that they're just going to have to deal with. I thought the the missed goal team with Westbrook was a lot worse than that one. Oh yeah, we'll get we'll, we'll get to we'll get to that call in a little bit. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was just insane how the Rockets pulled that off. Because first of all, missing the second free throw, I mean, it it wasn't intentional. Like it was it was like West. I mean, not Westbrook. Harden missed that second free throw. Uh, just by fluke happenstance, and PJ Tucker and Robert Covington to have both of those guys in sync like that, uh, to be in the right spots, uh, and the miss to come off the rim at just the right angle—that's such a flukish kind of situation. Like they—they they both got. Uh, so PJ Tucker took the front of the rim. Robert Covington took the back of the rim. PJ tipped it to Robert Covington. Robert Covington tipped it oh. back into the rim. Ridiculous! Ridiculous play. Yeah, and now I remember. Now I'm remembering the shot from from Friday. I was thinking about yesterday's game for some reason. Yeah, no, it, it's it's a really smart. I mean, it, it just shows you how smart and the instincts that PJ Tucker and Covington have, and those are the types of things that uh, it doesn't show up in box scores. Uh, it doesn't show up in scouting reports, but they have incredible basketball instincts. And Covington has done that before. That wasn't the first time that he's done that. Uh, he did that in Minnesota as well. Yeah, and it, it's. You're, I, I don't think I'd I don't think I'd ever seen it before in a game up until because I didn't see the one that he did in Minnesota and I don't think I've seen another player do that. Normally you just kind of uh, get inside position on uh, on that play and he just went around the guy. He went behind the basket and was able to 
to get the rear get to to get the tip in. It was it was really smart, really impressive, and just another thing that you had to worry about if you're facing the Rockets. It's almost like a football running back kind of move to get to get around a guy like that. Uh, it, it takes a lot of footwork, and you have to be quick, and you have to kind of pull the chair a little bit. But it's really, really, it's really, really impressive when you see it in, in live action, and to have PJ in sync with him. It, that that to me is the most impressive part. Like both of those guys were in sync for a non-planned miss. Like this was not a planned miss, and they both managed to get it. Like, like the fact that both of those guys were ready in position at the same time for something that wasn't discussed is pretty insane. Yeah, it's it's impressive, and when you especially when you consider those guys have played together for what 14, 15 games at this point. I, I don't know the exact number. It's not like they played together a lot and have a ton of experience with one another. And it was really impressive, off, right? Yeah, yeah. It it was really impressive and. Uh, I think the Rockets would have stayed out of the seven seed anyways, but it, it at least gave them some breathing room. Right. Yeah. It, it, it was definitely a a key game for them, and it allows them to bump up in the standings in a way that they maybe didn't have the flexibility to do so. Um, now let's talk about this Bucks game, and we'll get to that Westbrook call in a little bit. Uh, this was really fun to watch. I actually thought uh, I'd be I'd be curious to hear your take. I actually thought this game was more fun than the Mavericks game. Uh, because there was just a level of execution that you didn't get in that Mavericks game defensively, and especially from the from the Rockets, the Rockets really turned it up a little bit, especially at the end of the game, um, in a way you didn't see in that in that Mavericks game, and it, like both both teams like they have a history together. It, it created a really interesting dynamic. They're they're both opposite stylistically. The Bucks are really big and long. The the Rockets are obviously you know rolling with micro ball. Uh, stylistically, this game I think is much more appealing to watch for me personally than that Mavericks game. Would you? What you think was more fun to watch? Um, I think probably the Dallas game was more fun just because there was no defense and guys were able to do whatever they wanted. It was but a just sugar from, rush, yeah, yeah. But just from a tactical standpoint, I think last night's game was a lot more interesting. You had better players on the floor. Milwaukee's a lot better than Dallas. Uh, Giannis was incredible for three quarters. So it's always fun to to see how how a, a team that plays as small as the Rockets do try to defend Giannis. Um, and, and then you had the Brooke Lopez aspect of it. And then you know, the Bucks basically said, you're not going to get anything in the paint. So we're going to let you shoot all these threes and just to see the Rockets fire them up. And they missed a bunch of them, but they kept on shooting. And that's what was impressive about that is that they just stuck with the game plan. Uh, they they took the shots that the Bucks wanted them to take and it beat the Bucks in the end. I'd be very interested to see if these two teams were to play again in, in the finals. Would Milwaukee be content with allowing all those corner threes? Because it seemed like whenever the Rockets wanted a corner three, they could get it. Mike Budenhoser is not known for his playoff adjustments. It, it, that would be interesting to see. Um, so I'll be completely honest here and say that I believe the Rockets were going to get blown out. And the people I talked to before the game also felt that way. Mentally, I told myself, if the Rockets can just keep this game close, if they can just be competitive, I think I start giving them more of a benefit of the doubt in how I view them as a proper title contender rather than a really good playoff team. Because that had been my internal struggle with this team throughout the whole year. Uh, I just didn't think they were as good as all the other title contenders. Now, while I still think they're not in that Bucks, Lakers, Clippers tier, I think they're at the top of that tier right below those teams. Like that tier with the Nuggets, the Celtics, and the Raptors. Like after this game, I think they're right near the top of that tier right now. Uh, this is the first time I'm saying this, so feel free to disagree. Like to me, they are the greatest threat in the Western Conference to unseat one of these LA teams right now. Oh, no, that's, yeah, I, I've been saying that the entire time. I mean, 
if, if they were to play in a series against uh, any other team except from the Lakers or Clippers, I'd, I'd pick them to win. And I do think that they are the team that is most likely to beat either the Lakers or Clippers. I know everyone loves Oklahoma City. I don't see that. I don't just think. Don't, I just don't know if they have enough offense to get something like that done. Denver is always going to be a wild card, and I don't even know who's going to be able to play for the Nuggets once the playoffs start. Uh, they they showed that they can beat anyone. I mean, when you go and you beat the Nuggets and you take punches like they did, it shows that you have the ability to beat anyone. It's just a matter of can you do it four times over a seven-game series. That's I don't think anyone doubts that the Rockets are capable of beating these teams because we've seen it. We've seen them beat the Lakers. Uh, we saw them beat Boston twice. It's just a matter of can they do it over and over and over and over again. And that's the one thing that they still have to prove. But yesterday was impressive, and you're they're obviously getting a lot of buzz after that game yesterday, and for good reason. They they showed a lot of toughness. They played big time defense when they had to. I mean, they basically took Giannis out of the game in the fourth quarter. I, I was very impressed. Yeah, and it's the fact that they won those two games back to back that that really I, I think it's really contributing to this buzz, right? Like the fact that they won, that they beat the Mavericks uh, from behind, and then they came back. Uh, they, although they let they they led against the Bucks for most of the game, but they lost the lead in the fourth quarter. And they came back and won again. Uh, th- I think that that element is what makes this more is what makes this so impressive. I just thought the Bucks have been a terrible matchup for the Rockets these past two years. Like they're three and zero against the Rockets before this game, but with Microball, I think the Rockets have found a way to beat some of these top teams in, in kind of a unique way. And um, I, you know. I, I had I had Matt Moore on my podcast three months ago, and I and he said something that I've quoted like a thousand times. Like the Rockets have increased their ceiling against a lot of these top teams, but while while perhaps lowering the floor. Uh, let me read something for you. The Bucks have out the Bucks out rebounded the Rockets sixty five to thirty six. They scored sixty paint points while the Rockets only scored twenty. They had twenty three second chance points, and the Rockets shot twenty one of sixty one from three point range. 99.9% of the time, that's a blowout for Houston. But the Rockets made up for it by forcing 22 tur- turnovers. They scored 30 points off those turnovers, 15 of these being fast break points. They got to the free throw line a bunch. They attempted 31 free throws. They shot 30. They shot 87% from the line. They got up 61 three-pointers uh, compared to the Bucks' 35. This is micro ball in a vacuum. Like The Rockets are going to forfeit the rebounding battle. They're going to forfeit second chance points. But they're going to make up for it by forcing these turnovers, by getting to the free throw line, and shooting a load of threes. They know uh, who they are as a team, and while I'm still unsure if it will work against a team like the Clippers, I respect the hell out of for it. Yeah, I, I, that's the one thing that D'Antoni stressed when they when they first started doing this, is that they know they're going to get beat up on the boards. But you know, what, what was the turnover battle yesterday? Because obviously Milwaukee turned it over 22 times. How many turnovers did the Rockets have? It was like 14. I mean, I, no, it was nine. It was nine. They, they yeah. only turned over nine times. So they're plus 15 in the turnovers in that game. I, I know they obviously won the turnover battle against Dallas as well. I mean, they're going to give up stuff on the boards, but they're not going to turn the ball over. And then they're also going to force a ton of turnovers as well. And so Mike D'Antoni said when when this happened, don't look at the rebounding. The rebounding does not matter. The offensive rebounds don't matter. The only number that really matters is second chance points. And we think that we will make up for that with the turnover battle. And you saw that in these two games. They did. And that's what they have. That's that's why there's some skepticism that they can do this for a long playoff run because it takes so much out of you. But it seems like they're pretty well conditioned right now. And I think that they have worn down the Bucks, and they have worn down 
uh, the Mavs mentally and physically in these first two games. And Russell Westbrook said this much when I asked him about it after last night's game. Yeah, and it's a lot easier to do it when you have guys who, who come off the bench and, and fill in some of those same holes that your starters are doing, right? Like, like having Jeff Green play the solid minutes that he did for Houston last night, like that to me is one of the biggest surprises of the second half of the season. Like I, I did not expect much from Jeff Green when they first signed him, and it's it's because a lot of teams put a lot of a lot of fans put a lot of hope into Jeff Green as a player. Uh, he's burned a lot of people over the years, uh, but. In Houston, he's found a really like nice niche as a small ball five. And the Rockets have a bunch of those guys who can kind of come in and fill some of these starter roles for those 10 to 15 minutes while these, these starters rest. And and it, it turns out to be pretty good minutes. Like Jeff Green shot three of eight from three-point range, and he kept on taking them, which I thought was more important. Like he was not getting demoralized by the misses. The Bucks were leaving him wide open, and he— and you know, James Harden and Westbrook would continue to drive and kick it right back out. No matter make or miss, they would keep kicking it out to Jeff Green as long as he was open. And he kept on shooting him, which is a good credit to him. And, you know, he came out three for eight. That's a good percentage. That's 37.5%. That's a good percentage from three-point range. And, you know, if you can get that kind of production, if you can get that kind of willingness from the back end of your roster to buy in, you know, you 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 have an ability to kind of stay fresher than what most people may expect. Jeff Green's job is very easy. Um, his job is to set a few screens, roll to the rim, and then sit in the corner and take threes. And for an offensive player, I imagine that's a whole lot of fun. He just has to do his job defensively. And as long as he holds up defensively, and he had his his share of, of rough moments on Giannis, but Giannis is going to do that to everyone. He just has to be able to survive and give them solid minutes. And so far, he's been able to do that. Yeah, I, I didn't think that he would contribute a lot when they got him, but he's been better than I think that they've even expected and they've needed him. It's been a solid, you know, uh, it's been a, a solid buyout pickup that I don't think anyone really expected. Right. Uh, and that's going to be key for them going to the playoffs. I asked Mike D'Antoni about this and he, he even said like, yeah, he's going to play for us in the playoffs, which is going to be big. Um, so what you said earlier about second chance points compared to turnovers, like I, I think that's pretty big. In fact, the, the Rockets have already said like, we're going to give up offensive rebounds. We know that. Like Our worry isn't limiting the offensive rebounds. Our worry is second-chance defense, which is a unique term. Like you, I've, I've never heard that until I heard Mike D'Antoni say it. Second-chance defense. So we're expecting a second possession a certain, a certain percentage of the time. And our goal is to play good enough on both of those possessions, so not get demoralized after the offensive rebound, get back, play defense, and then finally get, that, get, the, get, the, get the rebound. And, you know, for the first half, I thought they did a pretty good job. They let up in the third quarter, but by the four, the end of the fourth quarter, they, they came back to it. And they, they started playing solid defense, solid second-chance defense. And that's the way it works, right? If you can, if, if teams are, are continuing to get offensive rebounds, but if you're still defending at a high level after the offensive rebound, you can make it work. Yeah, you can. And the fact that they only they only gave up three offensive rebounds in the first half, and you knew it was coming. You knew that the Bucks were starting would, would start getting offensive rebounds at some point in the game. It's just a matter of can you keep them off the glass for a quarter? Can you keep them off the glass for two quarters? Because eventually they're going to start getting those offensive rebounds, and you just have to give yourself enough of a cushion to be able to survive it. And they did a nice job in the first half. They did not allow any offensive rebounds. They went into the locker room with a lead. 
and it allowed them to have a little bit of cushion for once the Bucks did start to find those offensive rebounds and put the ball back in the bucket with those second chance points. So you just have to give yourself a cushion. You don't have to be great in that in that category for 48 minutes, but be really good at it for 24 minutes. Be good at it for half the game and then take your chances with the rest of the half or with the rest of the 24 minutes. Well said. Well said. And and don't get demoral, demoralized when the offensive rebounds come because uh, as I said, like like it's it's not going to be pretty when some of these teams grab these offensive rebounds. The Rockets have been a very memeable team uh, in the bubble because big men are just grabbing rebounds off the top of their head and putting it back in, and it it it, it gets it gets to be a funny internet video. But as long as they keep those kind of possessions limited, it doesn't really matter if it happens every game, right? Like if you can keep those possessions limited, you know who cares if you get embarrassed by some sixteen year old online, like. All that matters is that you stay you stay to this game plan, you stay disciplined, and it'll work. Yeah, and D'Antoni said, uh, I, I don't care if they get 100 offensive rebounds. All that matters is how many points they get off of those offensive rebounds. And You can get 20 offensive rebounds on the same possession. You're only going to get two points out of it or three points out of it. That's the most that you can get. And yeah, the, the demoralized, the, the part about not getting demoralized is, is really big because you'll see it. You'll see a team give up you know, two or three chances on one possession and then they drop their shoulders and they're looking down at the floor and it, and it impacts them the next possession. And if you're PJ Tucker and you've given up a couple of offensive rebounds, it's going to happen when the guy that you are trying to block out is six or seven inches taller than you. You just got to run down to the other end and go to that corner and be ready to shoot whenever you get the ball. Yeah. If, especially if you expect it to happen every game. And and I think, I think that's something Mike D'Antoni's probably talking about behind the scenes. Like, listen, these guys are going to get offensive rebounds. Expect that to happen. We cannot. We cannot let that hurt us mentally as a team. Um, so, do you want to talk about this Giannis and Harden beat before we close out here? I don't really care about <laughs> it. I mean, I expected that, but I. F- so, I'm not actually sure if we've talked about it on this podcast, but I feel like we can take the opportunity now to talk about it if you're okay with it. Yeah, it's your podcast. <laughs> so, I have no idea, to be honest, why Giannis randomly started throwing shots at Harden. Um, I guess you can say Harden may have started it by saying that he thought he deserved the MVP last year in that random radio interview this offseason, but I'm not sure he took a direct shot at Giannis in the way that Giannis is consistently taking direct shots at Harden. I, the, the, I, you know, Harden retaliated earlier this year when he said that you know it doesn't take much skill to be a seven-footer and dunk it all the time. So I guess you can say he's taken some shots at Giannis, but that's more retaliatory. Um I, I, I don't know. Like I guess I guess random randomly Giannis woke up one day and looked at Harden and said, I just don't f- with this guy. Uh he took two shots at Harden during the All Star break about his defense and how he doesn't pass. And the passing thing is kind of a ridiculous criticism, but um I I guess this is kind of an interesting subplot whenever we watch the Rockets and Bucks play each other. Like we're gonna we're gonna key in on these on these defensive possessions where Harden's guarding Giannis. Uh, and frankly, he did a pretty good job against Giannis. He had that possession where he he blocked the pass, and um, and then he had that possession where he stole it, and then it led to a fast break. Like so, if Harden can keep these memeable moments down, I guess it doesn't really matter. But it's just an interesting subplot that uh, it continues to develop. It's entertaining. I think it's entertaining. Well, Giannis likes to have these the the laugh lines during the All Star selection show. He did it a couple of years ago when LeBron James drafted Anthony Davis and Giannis said, wasn't that tampering? And then um, and then for the All-Star show this year, 
I think it was Charles Barkley asked him why he didn't want to pick Harden, and he said, well, he doesn't pass. Or he, he wanted somebody, you know, whatever the exact quote was. And Harden wasn't happy about that. I mean, Harden was Harden was put off by it because, like, why is this guy bringing me up randomly during this All-Star game show? And he went back at, at Giannis, and then Giannis really wanted no part of it after that. I think Giannis kind of figured out that, you know what, I probably shouldn't have said that. I was probably in the wrong there. And it is an interesting subplot. Um they're not going to, they don't play very often. So you're not going to, it's not going to play out very, very no, much, but no. <laughs> it, it's just one of those things for a couple of days a year. Uh, you do get to see these two guys go at each other. And, you know, I don't think that I'm not sure why Giannis would have taken offense to Harden saying that he should have won the MVP. He probably should have won the MVP last year, but Hey, that's uh, how he wanted to play it. And uh, he's done a nice job on Harden in the past. And yesterday it was Harden who got the better of him. And it's gotten to the point where reporters are starting to kind of goat them into saying certain oh, yeah. quotes, right? Like, oh yeah, there was, ESPN was thirsty looking for that, um, <laughs> looking for that one after the game last night, and that's that's why Harden gave the next question answer to uh, the guy later on. Because, yeah, the international reporter, right? Yeah, it was Dave McMenamin asking about it about it first, obviously looking for that angle and wanting to write about that angle, and Harden wanted no part of it, and then the international guy asked him the same thing, and Harden just next questioned him. Right, and, and even the the no the no comments or I'm not going to say anything. Even those comments are getting a lot of play. It, it's just funny. Like this has become like a major storyline between two superstars. Who I I think you know I don't know these two guys personally. I think they genuinely don't like each other. And well, I don't I, think they know each other. Yeah, I think that's that's the hard part is that they don't know each other. They don't they never play together. They never play against each other. They're obviously from very different parts of the world. So I just don't think they know each other. Yeah. It, but 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 it is interesting how reporters are just kind of flying in just to get that hot quote about like and this game was entertaining enough by the way like you, you didn't really need to search for that but I understand why reporters do it like it's it's a question you have to ask it was uh, a part of the game at the end it actually became pretty consequential in terms of the outcome of the game so I understand why reporters are doing it but uh, you, you don't really have to do it honestly the game is good enough to where you have plenty to write about yeah for sure. Um, listen, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, can you can you go ahead and plug anything you're working on and, and your Twitter feed? Uh, yeah, at, uh, at Adam Spillane. Um, obviously uh, wrote about just what Westbrook told me yesterday about how they are wearing teams down, got into some of the turnover numbers and, and how teams are turning the ball over a lot more against the Rockets than they have been against other teams. And uh, then a lot of Astro stuff, if you're interested in that. I mean, that season is still going on. on My Astros. My Astros we'll, we'll, are doing pretty poorly as of late but they're still gonna make the playoffs and we'll see if there actually is a playoffs because that is very much up in the air we will recover uh listen as a lifelong astros fans i've been through the ups and downs i i, I you know I, i'm fine we're fine well there you go salman ali has he's he's what the astros have won him over been here been here it's, it, it's it's always been a lane of mine nobody nobody's ever asked that's, frankly that's what it is i have nothing to add <laughs> Uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Make sure to follow Adam on Twitter. Make sure to give us five stars uh, on iTunes. And make sure to give us a nice comment because it helps other people find the show. And yeah, guys. Good night.